0: Welcome to the First Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and find encouragement through the Holy Spirit. Good morning, everybody. So good to be here again and to worship with you and be in this beautiful church, this beautiful place and uh, share what God is stirring in our hearts. Um, Just want to compliment you guys. Since I was here last, I think you've renovated this room. Is that right, Ben? Did it used to be orange? (laughs) Weren't all of our churches orange? I I don't know what that was about, but anyway. Uh, It's beautiful. It sounds good in here. Thank you for the front-fill speakers. As a traveling speaker, it's like, uh, when there are front fills, I just get so blessed, so it 's a little thing, but uh, hello from my wife karina she 's back home in Langley, and uh, our family. you know I think you know some of my people. Uh, ben was here not that long ago, I think, working with your worship team and so and so many of you are friends from uh, the past. Hopefully we make some new friends today and uh, Everyone is incognito, so you know, I don't know if you're smiling or frowning or what, what you're doing, um, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, when, whenever I hear the, the term revival or when I hear a pastor say, we're believing God for revival, it, it resonates in my heart. Um, when I was in Bible college, I, uh, I was not a good student. I was unfortunately there mostly for a good time, uh, not to learn. And, um, but I had one class with Doc Miller, who was this old crusty uh, professor of history. And history can, can be very, very boring. And, and so I, I remember I was sleeping in class as usual and because uh, I was in a band and we were recording in the night because we couldn't afford studio time in the day, uh, and so I'm sleeping in class. And he started talking about revival and church history and what God had done in various revivals all throughout church history, and starting with you know the Wesleyan revival, the Reformation, the Wesleyan revival, Whitfield, uh, Jonathan Edwards, Finney. The Welsh revival, you know, we started telling all of these incredible stories of seasons of grace when God would move and something phenomenal happened and it brought lasting change. And something happened in those classes. Uh, we started, instead of uh, just listening all the time, he said, Well, why don't we start praying for revival? And I remember in a, in a spiritual place that was not my best spiritual place sensing a stirring in my heart and a longing for God to do something new and that's been in my heart all throughout life and ministry and I've been blessed to experience God moving a number of times in revival and some of you have been around for those days uh (laughs) bad news is I just set my clock for one hour and 29 minutes so I'll uh I'll, I'll forget about that Uh, Pastor Ben and Heather were with us during a season of revival. Mike and Jenny were there as well. Others of you were there in our church. So I'm going to talk about it a little bit. But my hope is that as we share today, that there's going to be something stirred in your heart, a longing, a desire, a willingness to act, to do something, to make some changes that the Lord would do something new in our hearts. So God, we just invite you to speak to us now from your word. Speak to us from the things that we've observed that you've done in the past and stir our hearts to new things, we pray. God, thank you for this church, for these people, for these leaders, and and our desire together to see you do something that glorifies your name in Calgary and Alberta and beyond. So, Lord, speak to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Revival is costly. It is painful. It is controversial. And there will always be people who do not love revival. And often those who are against it will aggressively oppose it. If you read through the historical accounts in the Bible, the good kings of Judah, the revivals under John the Baptist, the book of Acts, the missionary travels of the apostles through Christian history, always there's someone somewhere who has paid a very, very steep price for revival. It doesn't just happen because we announce it and get good graphics. It happens because there are people who pay the price. In 1868, one of my favorite revivalist preachers, Charles Finney, says this, The need for revival presupposes that the church is sunk down in a backslidden state. Revival consists in the return of the church from her backsliding and in the conversion of sinners. A revival breaks the power of the world and of sin over Christians. Those words were spoken 150 years ago, and they still seem incredibly relevant today. Romans chapter 12 says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect i want to use the analogy of fire or the illustration of fire today it's i think the best picture of revival fire functions throughout the book of acts and the gospels as a A double entendre for judgment and for empowering. John the Baptist says this in Luke chapter 3. I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. If you can see it, say it with me, everybody. And with fire. Fire. Jesus says this, His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Jesus actually talks a lot about fire. Most often, the fire that Jesus talks about is judgment for those who are rebellious toward God. Luke 12, from the message, he says, I've come to start a fire on this earth how I wish it were blazing right now. I've come to change everything, turn everything right side up, how I long for it to be finished. Do you think I came to smooth things over and make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and to confront. When God called Moses out of the burning bush, it was out of fire. When he led the children of Israel in the wilderness, it was with a pillar of fire. When he consumed Sodom and Gomorrah, it was the fire of judgment. When he showed his glory through Elijah on Mount Carmel, It was fire that fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. On the day of Pentecost, there were what looked like tongues of fire that rested over the head of all the people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that fresh fire ignited missions and evangelism through the Spirit-filled believers throughout the world. And those fires that started at Pentecost are still burning all over the globe. The question today is, is it burning in you? Is that fire burning in us? Is it burning in Calgary? And there may be remnants, there may be embers, but what we want is more of the fire of God's Holy Spirit and his power. Amen? We believe there's more. If God is infinite, if God is without boundaries or limitation, that there is always more available to us. I've been... Ben, I've been following Jesus a long time. You know, you can tell what an old guy I am. I've been in a ministry, like, I don't even, I think it's 40 years. I think it's, like, that's so long. A lot of you are saying, 40 years? Like, I wasn't even born 20 years ago. How, is, how can somebody be that old? I remember I, <laughs> some other old guy in the room, right? <laughs> I remember when I was 20 and I saw some guys in their 50s walk by and I thought, man, I don't think I'll ever be that old. (laughs) So you young adults, I, I, you know, I feel you. I, I know what you're thinking now, but, but I guess what happens after that long, you see some things happen and no matter how much I've seen or experienced, I know that God has more. I know that he's not finished yet. I know that if his love is as he said it is, then his love is extending itself to people who don't yet know Christ. There's more work to be done. A revival means that there's a deep, continual, earnest desire for the salvation of sinners. That's what constitutes the spirit of revival. Sometimes we don't want revival because we've heard about some things and we don't want that. Sometimes we get too busy, too occupied, too comfortable to make the effort or even to notice the need. If you are someone who enjoys reading your Bible, everybody should, but some people really love it. Take the time and study the revivals in the Bible, especially under the kings of Judah and in the book of Acts. We could take time today to study the revivals under the Moravians and the Wesleys. Whitfield, all those guys that I mentioned. We could talk for a couple of hours about Azusa Street, and it'd be great to do that. But I want to, for the next few minutes, try and describe to you what a revival looks like from some of what we've experienced together. A burden for prayer starts to emerge in a few people, and they begin to pray fervently for revival. <laughs> In our church, there were two guys, Jim and Arnie, and they came to me one time and said, hey, Pastor, we'd like to pray at 5 o'clock in the morning. Could you let us in? We want to pray for revival. And I said, I'll get you some keys. <laughs> you catch the nuance, right? Like, I'm cool with you praying, but I, I don't know if I can make it. So they started praying about revival every Tuesday at 5 a.m., during revival, the minister, the pastor, or the evangelist reaches a point of desperation and sets aside the fear of rejection and the fear of man and begins preaching straightforward preaching that includes calls to repentance and to holiness. In a revival, people begin to repent. Their hearts get lit up with a fresh love for Jesus. They start seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the best evidence of them being filled with the Holy Spirit is that they start to tell everyone they meet what God is doing in their life. They testify. They talk about it. They don't just get filled with the Spirit and experience His presence. Then they go out empowered as witness to share the love of Jesus Christ. During revival, backsliders hear about what's happening and begin to return with deep sorrow for years of wandering and rebellion. Sons and daughters that have been gone for years come home. During revival, marriages that have been headed for divorce are reconciled. In the intensity of the conviction of the Spirit, there's a confession of sin. Adulterous affairs are exposed, restitution for past thefts are made, broken relationships are restored. In revival, physical healings increase. Testimonies start to come about healings of bodies and minds and emotions. The gifts of the Spirit begin to operate again. The worship times have a renewed intensity and engagement unlike non-revival times. In revival, there's a lot of joy. And there's joy because there are constant stories and testimonies of life change and transformation and answers to prayer and miracles. And that's what brings the joy. That's why we get happy during revival. There's a lot of love in revival. There are a lot of tears. There's celebration and freedom and worship that are characteristics of revival. New songs are always birthed in seasons of revival through the prophetic anointing of those who are pastoring the worship. And in all of this, everyone, a passion for the lost is reborn. There's an urgency in the season. Programs kind of go by the wayside because people begin to live as if time is short and now is the time and lost people are dying and going to hell. We've got to do something about it. The people get renewed. They As they start to put their hearts under the lordship of christ they begin to bring their finances under the lordship of jesus they start living biblically beginning to tithe and give generously to miracle to to missions financial miracles start to be talked about as people will tell stories of beginning to honor god with their finances and experience financial provisions that were unexpected and unbelievable really apart from god Water baptisms happen, and in some cases, weekly. We had a season where every Sunday night there were people being baptized in water. It was, it was unbelievable. The church services get alive and vibrant. They seem to end too soon. The people hang out. They don't want to go home. Nothing else seems to matter very much. And then the poor and the broken and the addicts and the prostitutes and the criminals start showing up. Why? Because love-filled flame people start inviting them to come. They start seeing street people and looking them in the eyes and loving them and say, why don't you come with me? A true sign of revival is that there are many poor and many broken and many destroyed lives who start to feel the fire of God's love for them and they show up and they're a problem. I remember one Sunday night after we'd had a great time in the Lord's presence, I was in my office and my my daughter Laura was a preteen at that time and our kids loved coming to church because, you know, once church was over, they could run in the building. because what pastor's kids do, they run. And uh, so Laura had been running and her cheeks were all flushed and I was in my office and she came in she said, oh daddy, I love the smell of revival. I said, baby, what's the smell of revival? She said, well, cigarettes and alcohol. We had a, at that point we hadn't figured out, like we'd never had a smoking pit and so we didn't know where to put it and it sort of the the recovery people chose the front door. And uh, so if they weren't at the altar, then the recovery people after the night service would go out to the smoke pit to smoke, but the ventilation system brought cold air from there, and so the ventilation system would pump the cigarette smoke from outside all down around the altar. And so, <laughs> we're like, is somebody smoking down here? Is this? So we moved the smoke pit, but uh, it brings interesting challenges. You know, Unless there's revival, you don't have to worry about where to put the smoke pit. We had to add security, we had thefts, and we had threats, and we had the police, and yeah. It just In revival, rich people and poor people share the same bench. People of all races are embraced, every color, every tribe, every language. They're all welcome. In revival, there's a call to ministry. I could introduce you to people in various parts of the world who felt God calling them to ministry and are serving God in ministry during that particular season of revival. That's what happens. People feel called to go and serve God full-time. In time, in revival, the church fills up and starts to overflow. Additional services are required. Overflow spaces are prepared. Aisles are filled with chairs. People sit on the stairs or on the floor. People come with anticipation. Something amazing is going to happen. We don't want to miss it. People actually start coming early to church so that they can get a place and not miss out. People from other dry religious churches in the city will start to bring their unbelieving friends to a place of revival so those friends can hear an altar call and receive Jesus. Then they go back to those dry services and there's a little fire on the front row of those services. I had people come to me and say, Pastor, uh, this is my friend, Jen. She received Jesus tonight. And uh, uh, I'm not from this church. We're from another church. But I knew if I brought her here, she'd hear an altar call. She got saved. So we're going back to our church now, if that's okay with you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, God bless you. That's a sign when God is moving, when people in the city know if I bring them there, they're going to find Jesus. A lot of churches, you can take them there. They ain't going to find Jesus. Jesus. They might hear some good teaching. They might have some great music. But if they can't find Jesus, really, what are we doing? They ought to be able to find Jesus. When revival fire is burning, people start noticing issues in the community and they start to help. Social justice issues start to be addressed. There's a compassion to help the poor without programs. People just start helping people. Menial tasks, people start cleaning up garbage in city streets and in back alleys because they have an on-fire heart. During revival, there will be excesses, there will be errors, there will be possible wolves in sheep's clothing that come in and need to be sent away. Discernment and wisdom are needed. No revival's perfect, no people are perfect, but true fire spreads And produces lasting results. A revival may not last forever. And a lot of critics of revival will say, well, if it doesn't last forever, was it a real revival? Historically, revivals are seasonal. But the fruit and the impact and the change that they bring is usually lasting. I don't know if you know that the Azusa Street revival, which we trace our history to of spirit-filled living, lasted less than three years. Three years. We think of Azusa Street as this great place. It was filled with controversy. The city, religious leaders opposed the Azusa Street revival. Do you know that it ended because someone of the leaders of the Azusa Street mission stole the mailing list of their monthly magazine and they couldn't put the word out anymore, and that's how it ended? Revivals are not perfect, but God is always birthing something new in the hearts of people who want to see more. We're not perfect. Leaders aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. Any of you who were with me during those years, you know that. But God is glorified through imperfect vessels, isn't he? God is glorified through a humble heart who says, I was wrong. Forgive me. God is able to work and do things that we could never have imagined When God moves, the result is going to be lasting fruit. The fire will spread. I've been blessed in the last six years or so to travel all across Canada. And it's a rare Sunday when I speak somewhere that I don't have somebody come up to me and say, I got dragged to church kicking and screaming during those days. I didn't want to go. I sat up in the very farthest spot in the balcony. I didn't know what was going on. The people around me were, we we had signs in our balcony we had to put on them that says, please no dancing in the balcony because the balcony was cantilevered and it would move about six inches. We used to hold high school graduations and I always wondered what the parents would be thinking when they walked in and saw it. Please no dancing in the balcony in a church. I love it she said I sat way up in the balcony I didn't know what was going on and I don't know how it happened but at the end I was on my knees at the front crying tears and I I came to Jesus and I've been serving God ever since you meet those people because somebody loved her enough to bring her that's why she was there somebody full of the fire of the Holy Spirit said come with me God is doing something I've been able to observe revivals on two other occasions. Once was in Ethiopia. Been there many times, and that fire of revival has been burning now for a quarter of a century and continues to burn. It's a church planting revival. In Ethiopia, they don't let you use the title pastor until your church is five thousand or more. Up to that point, you're an evangel, you're just an evangelist. But after you grow your church to five thousand, then we can call you a pastor. <laughs> I mean, we have pastors of stage moving things. We have we have pastors of everything. Over there, they're saying, no, the evidence of of this, so whatever their definitions are. I'm not saying we have to do that, but it was unbelievable. I said to Brian Rutten, the one of the Canadian missionaries there, I said, What's your church planting strategy in Ethiopia? I want to know how to do it. If there's a manual or a you know a YouTube series i I just want to know how to do it because i'm involved in church planning in canada and he said he said well we find a young man or young woman who's full of the fire and uh, we pick a village and we rent them a room in the village and then we tell them to go to the village and to fast and pray until there's a miracle and then once there's a miracle they can start the church And so I I said, I said, okay, so, okay, but then like, you know, what are the steps? He said, no, that's it. That's all the steps. That's all there is. I said, so that's your national strategy of church planting? Yes. He said, it was very effective. Still is. One young pastor, one young evangelist walking into the village where we'd rented him a room past a tree with a demon-possessed woman chained to the tree. And as he was fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit said, That's your miracle. Go out, take on those demons. And so this young evangelist, still in training, brand new, Goes out and in Jesus' name takes on the demons, filling this woman who was so dangerous she was literally chained to a tree. And of course she gets set free and receives Jesus, just like Bible, you know, clothed and in her right mind. He walks with her back into the town. And there's a pretty good church in that town now. When I was in Ethiopia for the first time, it was was one of the most transforming things that ever happened to me. Because I saw what God was doing in Revival Fire. I was privileged to go and be a part of a revival in Florida. was just there for a number of days. And saw thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus. My family and I and some of the team here were part of something in Langley. 98 to 2004. Something like that. It was powerful. I've been telling you about it. And I'm so thankful for all those days. All the things that I've been describing are things that we experienced. It's not things that I've read in a book. It's things that we went through. But I'm longing for another move of God before I die. I'm thankful for what I've seen. But I want to see God do something new that is current and fitted to these times that we're living in today. And so I want to ask you today, do you ache? Do you long for a personal revival and a revival in your church? Will you, will you have a revival? If God was to ask you audibly right now, today, at this moment, and say, do you want a revival? Would you be willing to say, yes, Lord, I want to see a revival? If he was to say, are you willing to make the sacrifices? Could you continue to say yes? And if he was to further say, when will it start? Could you say, oh God, let it begin today. Let it begin in my heart. Let it begin right now that I would not stay the same and never return to this place, but go to a new place in your spirit from this moment on if we heard his voice today would we answer that way or would you find it interesting would we find it curious would we have five reasons 10 maybe 20 if we try hard why it won't happen today or why it can't happen now or what i don't want to see if i ever get into a situation like that again based on what i saw before So often we throw up roadblocks and barriers so easily rather than having a broken heart that says, Lord... Why aren't the lost rushing into the kingdom? Why isn't the city being transformed? Oh God, why isn't there healing among us? Why isn't there more of your presence and your power? Why aren't the things that I've heard about all my life happening today in the same measure or even greater? Oh God, I can't just stay the same. I can't just put up with it. I need for you to move and I want it to begin with me. Thank you so much for listening to this message. We pray that you have received truth and have been encouraged. For more information about First Assembly, how to get connected, and to listen to our latest worship albums, please visit our website at www.fa.church.